0: What does motion sound like? With Kizikans free shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com/socks.
1: Had a hard stop for a nap before. I think it's the maybe the first time that's been suggested in human history. <laughs> Chabon, I don't know, actually maybe parents parents have hard stop for naps for their kids maybe. In my
2: dreams. <laughs>
1: In your, your dreams, yeah. Um, well, hey, thanks for listening. This is Ross Kenyon. I'm one of the co-founders of Nori. I'm the head of creative and marketing here. Uh, Nori is a carbon removal marketplace based in Seattle, Washington. This is reversing climate change, the podcast. It feels so unnatural to say everything out of order, but, you know, just mix it up a little bit. Try something new in your life and see how it feels. It actually felt not too bad. Although, not to disappoint, something that is not that different today is Siobhan Montoya-Lavender is here. I
2: am here indeed. Hi, everybody. (laughs) The
1: most inauspicious greeting of all time. (laughs)
2: Sorry, actually, I really like having you here, but
1: I did say it in that way.
2: That's quite all right. But
1: you have the honor of introducing our guest.
2: I, I do. I'm excited for this guest, and I'm excited for this topic, slash nervous, but also very excited. We have today with us Suchi Talapi, who is the founder and executive director of the Alliance for Just Deliberation on solar geoengineering. Big, big topic here, and one that I feel like is almost like saying Voldemort out loud, and I don't want it to be (laughs) that 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 way. way. (laughs) And so I'm really glad that Ross had the idea to bring you on and that we get to just kind of dive in to an audition around.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Um, I love talking about this topic, especially for people who are coming to it for the first time. Um, And so I promise it's not that scary. I mean, it is a little bit terrifying, (laughs) but but talking about it shouldn't be scary.
2: That's right, that's how I feel too. I think the more we talk and expose things, the less frightening they feel. That's what I tell my kids anyways.
1: You talk to your kids about solar geoengineering? (laughs) I'm not
2: there yet, but other things that frighten them, (laughs) we try to talk them through. And also uh, kind of question why things frighten us and what's that narrative and where is it coming from? So that's something I'd love to get into today. Um, Can you talk to us just for our audience who maybe doesn't know, can you just tell us what solar geoengineering is?
0: Sure. Yeah, happy to. So engineering, which is also often referred to as solar radiation modification or SRM, uh, refers to large-scale intentional approach to reflect sunlight that will cool the planet. Um, so the reason that this is even a thing um, is because we know that there are natural analogs that function in similar ways. And so, for example, really large volcanic eruptions, um, most recently Mount Pinatubo in 1991, sent the aerosols into the upper layer of the atmosphere or the sphere, and we saw um, about half a degree of cooling for over a year. Uh, so this could be something that you know could significantly cool the planet relatively quickly um, but comes with a really deep uncertainty in the types of impacts that might also result and so things like precipitation um, sea level rise and other physical impacts alongside a lot of social and human systems impacts so how things politics or um, climate displays might be affected by something like this we still really don't any answers on. Um, And so research has been um, varied um, and quite constrained to researchers north. Um, And so there's just not a lot of answers on how different types have impacted um, by, you know, potential use of this type of technology. Um, So I'll stop there, but we'll love to dive in deep. I
1: feel like the default has been, especially from more progressive circles, has been Research is enabling we should not be opening uh, ourselves to be thinking about this at all. Uh, There's a moral hazard element to it where if you open this door, people will decarbonize more slowly or not at all because they'll think they have a get out of jail free card. Where do you think people have made a wrong turn on those assumptions?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's thinking that those things are mutually exclusive, right? Like when we think about decarbonization, Mm. I think almost this and anyone who works in this field will tell you that it's a priority for them and how they think about climate change. Solving is by no means any sort of solution to anything. Um, It could be something may potentially be able to address some types of impacts. Um, And because of that, we owe it to ourselves to better understand if that's even a possibility. Um, And I think, you know, the narrative around talking about this is bad and talking about this could lead to poor decisions to me is a really privileged thing to say, right? Because in that context, we're saying we're not experiencing impacts right now. And so we have time to not think about this topic, but that's not true of most of the world, right? We're seeing really climate vulnerable regions experiencing horrific climate impacts already. And we know those will continue to cascade and grow over the next several decades, regardless of even if we were to hit net zero tomorrow. And so having a discussion about climate yeah. impacts and different types of approaches to address them, whether it's you know small scale adaptation, large scale adaptation, maybe solar geoengineering, if that fits through you know our societal making frameworks, um, is important to talk about. Um, and being very clear about our priorities um, from a climate perspective is incredibly important. Thinking about how these types of approaches fit into that full climate response portfolio is incredibly important, but ourselves from even having these types of discussions, um, I think is really problematic and and I think is very much dictated by a lot of these kinds of progressive voices, often in the global north. Um, And about how we bring in more discussion and more inclusion um, has to be a way we talk about all types of climate, you know, responses. Um, and so, I mean, so I would basically just say that, that, it, that it's very, I think, short-sighted, I think kind of fits into a lot of problematic, um, dare I say, colonialistic structures that we've seen in climate governance so far.
1: Fascinating reversal. I could also see people making uh, colonialist or neos claims against uh, geoengineering or association uh, modification or management, as well as being a sort of techno-fix way of failing to address the central problems of late capitalism. God, I just put that on so naturally. But couldn't you just imagine someone making this case uh, right against you, too? And I'm sure. I'm sure. Like most of your work is probably pointed towards the left, and this is probably a debate that you have quite often. Yeah, imagine.
0: and and by no means do I using solar geoengineering is necessarily really a good idea. Um, and I think you know, for me, so many of the questions around SRM is is how and the kind of instructors of, that will dictate the answer to that question. Um, and I absolutely agree that using SRM as, as a, you know, get out of jail free card for the false tree or as an excuse to continue emitting um, is absurd, right? That, that will never make sense. That context of SRM um, shouldn't be on the table. Um, and, and so, and, and yeah, and so, I mean, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree doesn't mean that we get to kind of make those decisions for other people. Um, That doesn't mean that we don't need to understand, you know, more about what the impacts of these types of technologies might be, especially because whether or not, you know, we collectively decide to use something like this, that doesn't mean somebody else won't. Um, And so understanding kind of what these types of approaches could do,
2: I think is important to understand regardless. I would have to agree with you there. And I would have to say that research into this space, I'm always wary of anybody who's against the idea of researching and discussing something. I think there's just kind of an inherent bias I have that we should be open to discussion and we should be open to research. And you mentioned, you know, legitimately that a lot of this discussion and research is happening in the global north, is happening by the countries that have created the most pollution and is happening... Is happening in the countries where the least risk is, is occurring at the moment. And so let's talk a little bit about the risk of geoengineering, of doing it, and then also the risk of inactions. Like if we don't do this, what happens? Because I think sometimes we can get really caught up in what are the consequences of doing something without talking about the of cons- not doing that thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, yeah. And I would love to kind of first address your point about Research And I think it's so important because I think science as an institution, I think, is something that we put a lot of stock in and that we have a lot of respect for, which I think is incredible. And, and so for me, coming from academia, you know, doing science in general do- is such a core part of how I think about this space. Um, at the same time, I, you know, think about the ways we do research um, shouldn't be set in stone um and making sure that we're continuously thinking about how to build a more and more inclusive and just scientific enterprise i think is so important and so when it comes to solar geoengineering thinking about how we kind of build better research questions how we solicit them how we fund them how we are building a more inclusive set of researchers um i think it's so important to making sure that we're not just doing we doing better and more inclusive research. Yeah, I mean it's it's such an important question and I think gets to this kind of risk-risk framework that a lot of people in the solar engineering community talk about of we have to talk not just about the risk of solar engineering, but we have to put that in the context of the risk of climate change. Um and it's it's so important about the scenarios that we build and the questions that we ask. Um and I think for me the question it's a really hard it's it's a really hard dichotomy to think about because for solar geoengineering, it's not just a question of whether or not you do it, but how it could happen. Could it, and the context in which that could occur. Um, and so, you know, whether that happens by, you know, a unilateral actor or a rogue act, if it happens under a collective international agreement um, and to kind of what level you do it um, and to kind of what extent there is kind of actual, you know, justice-oriented governance framework that's kind of overseeing how this is implemented, how transparent it is, right? You know, whether or not it's a military enterprise versus a public enterprise Mm -hmm. will really dictate the trust in the outcomes. Um, And so all of these types of questions, for me, dictate a lot of the question, the risk of potential deployment. Um, And I think when it comes to thinking about the potential for not deploying, it's so important to actually take that question to the most vulnerable. Um, And so, you know, this new organization that I launched this year is very much focused on thinking build knowledge and questions um, from the global South, from the places that are most vulnerable to asking the questions that we haven't been asking um, thus far. And so thinking about what questions about risk for the different types of systems, um around weather or culture or biodiversity that could be um that we just really haven't engaged with yet um and so i think for me it's it's really hard to kind of answer the question how we think about doing this versus not um but to really think about all the nuanced questions in between and the ones that we haven't even asked yet Mm -hmm.
1: And what are some possible future deployments? One scenario that stuck with me, I'm pretty sure this is ministry for the future, but when the wet bulb temperature is just creeping up and local people are going to die, these kinds of local deployments start to look a lot better. And if you're just in the global north and you're scolding the Indian subcontinent for trying to make sure their citizens don't die, there's something more going on here. Um, And it isn't just about what it means to alter the planet's climate deliberately, but the questions of why become a lot more important. It takes on an entirely different texture than if someone is trying to deploy geoengineering at scale globally to protect fossil fuel based capitalism or something like that.
0: Um, I mean, I think for me, I think, you know, that scenario is such an interesting one and comes up a lot in different stories or movies or TV shows of, um, you know, Especially someone in like a country in the global south, you know, deploying this because of you know a massive kind of crisis in their country. It's a really interesting scenario that we should examine. Um, but for me, I think a lot of the, a lot of the times, I feel like these scenarios are really simplistic, and we're not thinking about also kind of the other questions that a lot of people in those countries might have other than particular crisis, right? And so, you know, for example. Um, You know, questions around how solar geoengineering would impact um, renewable energy deployment and grid security is one that I was asked a few different times when I was in India earlier this year, and I don't have any answers to that question because we really haven't investigated that much around what the kind of intersections will be between solar geoengineering and um, solar energy or wind energy Um, and and so, you know, I feel like that's just kind of one example of something that we often don't really think about because, you know, especially where in this scenario where they're experiencing massive heat, um, ensuring that there is, you know, enough energy to run air conditioning systems um, at really high capacity is probably another question that they're asking at them that they could potentially be thinking about solar geoengineering deployment. deployment. Um, and so I feel like thinking about more complicated scenarios and asking the questions that might be more relevant to these places ends up being a lot more than I think we might think sometimes. Um, and And I think the other thing too is like, you know, there are other impacts than just the immediate kind of heat context of Let's like like for that India scenario for example and so thinking about for example and this comes up a lot too is how solar gene cream might interact with the monsoon um, and food security mm-hmm. and agricultural output in India would also probably be you know at the forefront of their minds and, um, potential use of this technology um, and so th- those are just a few examples but I think I would say you know the the question that I get the most when I'm taking this, approach to new places just to kind of introduce it is you know what how would this impact my community my region my country and that seems like the most you know like the most reasonable question to ask and that is the that is a question that we have no answers to and so like this area of impacts oriented research and solar engineering is one that needs so much more attention because we really haven't these like very you know, more um, focused impacts might look like. And especially thinking about how these impacts will interact with these vulnerabilities that are so different in different places. Um, and so that's one that I, I, I feel like there's just so much more work to do around a question that seems so simple, but we
2: just really haven't done that much around. I mean, that's a lot of research gap. Yeah, that's a big research gap. So it sounds like there's a lot that needs to be done and you brought up the legitimate point that this research needs to come from different and disparate voices and approaches. And so how are you at the Alliance thinking about is it or are you thinking about getting you know research tools, research funding? Like are you advocating for research? Um where where do you see going in the next decade?
0: Yeah, um, so for me, um, as focused on kind of building that kind of scientificity, um, but there are really amazing organizations that are. Um, and so, uh, for example, the Degrees Initiative is focused on um, funding and building projects for artists. Um and they've been doing that work for the last couple of years. Um, but for me, I, I think the kind of the work that I'm more focused on is trying to build the capacity of civil society and policymakers around this topic to be able to engage and ask questions. Um, And one of the reasons I'm so focused on that is because right now I would say a lot of the solar geoengineering is very supply driven rather than demand driven. Um, And so it's hard to say that you wanna fund more research when people aren't necessarily asking for it, but they're not asking for it Mm -hmm. because they don't know that this is this is a conversation that's even happening and so getting more organizations and policymakers engaged in this topic demand for the types of research that need to be done um and that said to also build kind of the governance frameworks that are needed for that for you know, research frameworks and enterprises in different places um, and so in terms of like thinking about kind of how my organization's engaging with that over kind of the next few years it's really thinking about what capacity building looks like, what that means to do that effectively, and how you do that in a lot of different places. Um, and it resources, it takes, you know, a lot of um, conversations and figuring out kind of where this makes sense, um, who kind of would be willing to engage with this and who would be a partner to lead this work in different places. Um, I think one of the, the kind of biggest challenges of building, whether it's in, science or around governance, um, is making sure that it's not built in a biased way and it's not owned by a Global North institution. And so making sure that I have partners in different places that own this work, that are leading this work, where then I can help contribute resources, knowledge, or funding, um, or capacity, um, is so important to kind of... the the way I want to execute this mission, um, and I hope is a way the way we build this field in the future, um, but and I think will consequential for I think the, um, the types of research we do um, and the types institutions that are waging this work. Um, so I'll stop there, but um, it's, it's such a good question to think about how to shape kind of the growth of the scientific enterprise.
1: A scientific enterprise like this presume uh, any probability that solar geoengineering is going to be deployed at some point? Do you think it's maybe maybe you don't think it's inevitable, but do you think it's more likely than not?
0: Not necessarily. I mean, I think for me, a lot of this research could end up showing that it will or that it's a really bad idea in some places. Right. Um, And we just really don't have any answers to those questions um you know i think relatively speaking in terms of you know how much climate funding we're, climate research funding we're spending versus how much we're putting into solar geoengineering it's it's pretty much nothing um and so to even have like a little bit more in a modeling context wouldn't actually be a huge lift and would enable us to do a lot more work and so many different types of questions um and i think kind of the notion that asking quite to us using it. Um, It's, it's, I think it's, it's so dangerous to make that assumption. And I, I totally see kind of where people are coming from on it that, you know, the more you talk about it, the more likely it is that people will think it's a good something to them that they never would have thought of before. Um, But for me, I mean, that seems so undemocratic to say we're going to put you because we are afraid of how you're going to use it. Um, I think it's equally as likely that talking more about storage engineering will scare the shit out of them even more to not wanting to engage with it. And to say, this is insane. I can't believe you would even think about this. And we want to institute, you know, a ban on this type of technology, right? So I feel like yeah. we, we often hear like the flip side of that of you know talking about it will lead to its use, but I think it's equally as likely that talking about it will have people being, you know, being very reticent about it. Um, but um, I think for me, I think the kind of core of this is that we have to build kind of more rational centered knowledge that people have access to. Cause in a vacuum, I think it's, it's not just, you know, information or no information. I think it's information or misinformation and solar geoengineering is like ripe for conspiracy theories as it already is. Right. Like I think, you know, like the notion of chemtrails and like, you know, CIA led like, you know, deployment. I mean, like that stuff is out there already. And so making sure Mm -hmm. that we have like science-based knowledge and building that foundation early, I think is going to be so important um to kind of fighting already kind of the misinformation campaigns that we're already starting to see
1: yeah it's really intriguing to me and maybe i'm reading too far into this in which case you can tell me no i've, I've gone the wrong direction but uh, i'm catching a lot of uh, faith person to <laughs> decipher information and, and a, in favor of a. In favor of like a free speech is important, it, whereas like the impacts, especially in the last decade, have been towards we need more censorship, we need more control to combat misinformation. And it seems like maybe some of the things you said sound like you have more faith that we need more open discussion rather than more monitored or more censored discussions to to, e- to be able to move forward as a species, even potentially in light of climate change and geoengineering. Am I cor- correct in sensing this or am I too far uh in my own little world?
0: Um, I would say it's mixed. <laughs> I feel like
1: mixed, okay, that's that's a good answer. <laughs> Tell me.
0: because I feel like you this the like the work that I'm trying to build isn't necessarily to like go like just talk to like random people on the street. Um, it's going to like you know, climate and you know knowledge oriented institutions to try and engage with them. Mm-hmm. And then for them to lead their own kind of community uh, community capacity building exercises, right? Um, like I I don't have the knowledge of the diversity and like the kind of nuances of different communities in all of these different places, and so that's why I'm trying to work with climate organizations and research institutions and universities to to start these conversations first, um, and for them to then help out what a broader capacity building um, exercise looker in their you know communities, in their countries. Um, and I think that might look different in different places. Um, but what I was trying to say is, like, when we think about how knowledge is either limited or kind of made available, it's, it's that accessibility and kind of Work towards fighting misinformation that I think we're not actively doing for solar geoengineering, and I think in a vacuum of not trying to have these conversations with more people in more places, I think we're basically re- massive misinformation campaigns. Um. So.
1: Yeah. Me solidly in my place. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think you're walking a very important line here. It's uh, the nuances. Go ahead. I mean,
0: it isn't really hard, though. I mean, like it's. I mean, we see how how much misinformation has like absolutely like inundated states, and how challenging that is for elections, Um, and that terrifies me, right? But like, I don't think me trying to build knowledge more of that i'm hoping it will lead to less of that um but i don't think in a vacuum you can just kind of say we're not going to talk about this and then hope that information doesn't get full because some type of information is going to get out there eventually um and I, i my hope is that it will be good information
1: it's like parents not wanting to talk to their kids about sex, and then you're just going to hear it on the schoolyard, and you know it's going to be horrible nonsense. Like guarantee, like 100% guaranteed, <laughs> Judging from the stuff that I heard on the playground from parents who are too shy for their own good. Good luck following that one up. Sure. There's, there's nowhere to go. From now that, that we've that.
2: compared geoengineering to sex, um, <laughs> I'm curious how you approach these communities, these environmental organizations, these policymakers when there is so much. Kind of knee-jerk fear around this I'm, I'm kind of curious how do you approach that and then i also want to know do would you consider the burning of fossil fuels a form of geoengineering and then so like how do you would how do you bring that to people
0: yeah um so to answer your second question first i would say no because i think real components of solar geoengineering is intent um, and so you know while some people would say well now we know that we know the impacts were intentionally continuing to burn them i i don't think that's quite the case right you know i think there are energy needs around the world that we are trying to decarbonize and you know we're doing off well at least kind of we're doing the best i would hope that that would look looks a lot different a lot more quickly but i don't think that is engineering um so for me it, and and that is kind of at the core um, mm-hmm. what these types of approaches look like, um, but in terms of how you take this to piece, it's really hard, um, and I um, have had to be, you know, really careful and thoughtful in how I present this work. And you know, oftentimes audiences, you know, open up in a very skeptical way, um, and oftentimes people don't even respond. <laughs> So um, it takes a lot of pushing to get people to want to engage with me to convince them that you know it's worth their time to talk to me. That might not be the case and that's okay too, right? Um, but I think you know what's really important is to not immediately tell them that they're wrong um, and to disagree with kind of how they're coming to this topic um, and so for and so you know it's it's being kind of really understanding of where they're coming from but, but then also saying you know like that could be right and you know what we're you know the work that we're trying to build is not to tell you that you know you should think about this in any certain way trying to bias you to say that, that we should do this or that we shouldn't um but that you deserve to be engaged in this conversation and that you know without you know your voices in work like it is starting to move right we're seeing so much momentum um as mm-hmm. last year and so these conversations are starting um, and it, so now the question isn't whether or not to have this conversation; it's whether or not um, you're going to be part of it. And the work that I'm trying to build help you have the platforms to engage, to build knowledge around, um, to engage with you know your institutions, um, and to help you shape your own perspectives. Um, and 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 usually that's what ends up being kind of where we connect and. And and all I'm looking for in these conversations too is 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 hopefully having kind of a willingness to continue to engage with me by the end of it, um, and and I, I've you know luckily been able to see so far um, some success and it's it's really exciting to see kind of a soul to from like an immediate skepticism um, to just a willingness to you know continue to talk to me and engage with me and to start building that relationship and to build trust.
1: The last, the last year where, where I basically, I mean, I feel like there's big gaps for me. Like when Holly Jean Buck put out her last book after geoengineering on it, I guess it was a couple books ago. And whenever I see something that David Keith does, but I don't feel like I see a lot of the, I guess, Andrew Lockley and the, and the geoengineering newsletters but I don't know that I'm seeing a ton of stuff out there. Where is this happening? So,
0: um, I mean, there's three different bodies that have released reports about geoengineering this year alone. Um, the White House just released a research uh, uh, plan and um, governance framework for the first time in June. Um, the European Commission released a statement about wanting to engage in governance on solar changing for the first time this June. Um, so it's, mm. it's been a lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's kind of astounding, actually. Um, and, and so, and you know, we've also seen like really problematic momentum. Like, we've seen, you know, Bruni claiming that they want to deploy solar geoengineering and fill cooling credits. Um, and so, all of that has happened in the last 12 months um, and more, right? We've also wow. seen the IPCC six assessment report working two and three talk about solar geoengineering for the first time. Uh, National Academies wow. report come out in March 2021. Um, that was you know both the research um, recommendations for research governance, um, and you know s- since they're 20, we've also seen kind of a growing um, U.S. funding of research at NOAA. That's I think at now at about 11 million dollars a year. Um, so, you know it's not and it's not always in the public eye um but it's been quite a bit of shift in the last two or three years and i think if you look back at cdr maybe like five or six years ago i would i would i feel like it's in a similar space of just kind of bubbling um and starting to get on people's radars and that's not to say i think solar geoengineering should go as mainstream as cdr but to say that it's, it's getting in a much faster way um and we're not really thinking about what that means and the types of you know different institutions and governance mechanisms we should be building.
1: Community, pretty much. When I started in carbon removal was you know, six years ago, maybe a little bit before that. There was still a lot of overlap or even people who were endorsers of carbon removal considered carbon removal to be a part of geoengineering. And at some point, there was some sort of cellular split where it's like we don't want anything to do with the the nuts who are hanging out in the SRM room (laughs) and people don't think of it this way anymore, but there was a period where it was pretty much all the same people in carbon removal and in geoengineering. And they were all in chat. I mean, David Keith is maybe the the best example of this as one of the, the godfathers of both spaces as the great unifier between these schools of thought (laughs) or these approaches. But do you have any sense of like sociologically what happened here?
0: Yeah. I mean, well, I I will say one thing is that I, I don't think that divide is prevalent in other places in the world um and so talking about geoengineering actually still refers to both of these types of approaches in a lot of places so i'm just putting that out there but um i would say i think as cdr started to get more funding i think started to kind of be in these modeling spaces in ways where play out without cdr um I think started to drive a community that was oriented towards deployment, right? It was it was oriented towards, you know, the notion that we need deployment. The question is how and how best to do it. And that is not the question for solar geoengineering. The question is whether or not this makes sense still. And I think that was the course sh- like divide for me um, as someone who has also been in both of these spaces for a lot of my career. It was that divide of there is an understanding that we're going to need cdr but we don't know that for it's already engineering yet and that for me and i think for a lot of people um and i think right like over the last like three or four years the community has grown so exponentially as well and those are people who were never under this like and so you know they're just joining this Mm. new field um, and not even engage you know, ever having to have, had engaged with solar geoengineering. Um, and so for them, like that kind of combination like never made sense. And, and then so many more of those people, like newer people, um, that I think that divide just got stronger and stronger, especially in the United States.
2: I'm also curious, this is such a burgeoning field. I and mean, you talk about CDR six years ago when it was in its, you know, total infancy. And then you're kind of at that stage, what made you decide to get into this and where do you see it going?
0: Yeah. I mean, so I got into this field when it was CDR (laughs) and solar geoengineering and (laughs) topics that were super fascinating to me. Um, and so, I mean, I'm a trained engineer and the ideally out there approaches was, um, just, it was really new to me. And I was kind of enthralled by the policy question would stem from these types of approaches. Um, And and I just dove into it and was just really fascinated by how important both of these things could be. Um, And it's been so interesting to watch that kind of play out 15 years. I first learned about this in 2009. Um, And to go from a place where me talking about these things to my you know friends in two thousand ten and being called crazy to it becoming for CDR so mainstream and a really kind of at least from a respected and important area of research, um has been really astounding to. Um, I haven't seen the same for solar geoengineering. You know the momentum that I talked about and that shift um, is becoming more tangible and. And so when you know when i saw that kind of growth but without kind of more and more kind of willingness um, is why i decided to start this organization Um, i i feel like for solar geoengineering, i feel like there's an even more narrow window of time to do this work to build governance institutions to build capacity especially in climate vulnerable regions to build a more kind of justice oriented field um because of the nature of the approach right you know i think for cdr it's extremely infrastructure intensive it's very expensive it's slow it'll take decades to scale all of those things are the total opposite for solar geo engineering right it's potentially very fast it is relatively cheap um and you know is something that could happen you know imminently Um, I don't think it could happen in the next, you know, it could happen much, much faster than we might expect. Um, And so I feel like that that window to actually think about how to build these like governance frameworks at international scales is actually like something that we should probably be thinking about right now.
1: Well, you just made the case pretty well for someone listening who says, well, why bother with the decades of hardcore carbon removal infrastructure if we can skip all that and spray some chemicals and be done with it? Um, make the most basic case here for someone who just heard that and it sounds very appealing for the first
0: time. Well, and, you know, and I think one of the most important aspects of solar geoengineering, though, is that it, needs, it cannot exist without CDR, right? You cannot stop using solar geoengineering unless you are building CDR at scale. And so, it like the thinking about these approaches in a vacuum, just doesn't make sense to me. They have to fit into this broader portfolio, right? And so, to be able to stop using solar geoengineering, you have to get to net zero. You have to get to net net to be able to eventually stop using this type of approach. Um, And then, you know, in the meantime,
1: do we have to stop though? Like, do we just keep doing it forever Mm -hmm. though? Your cat doesn't agree, but (laughs) it's my
2: it's my cat, sorry.
1: (laughs) Oh, definitely okay. <laughs> a street cat
2: that my children have adopted. <laughs> Me with the cat, either
0: way. <laughs> uh, okay,
1: that's good. <laughs> I think,
0: like in a sci-fi movie, yeah, like. But I mean, in the context of the impacts of solar geoengineering and the dangers and risks we would be accumulating by not mitigating and by not scaling CDR um, and not figuring out an off engineering, I think would be catastrophic. Um, we don't have a good understanding of what those other impacts might be. Solar geoengineering does not address the climate change impact um, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, we would see like rapidly acidifying oceans that we're not without, really right? And you know that's just one example. And so um, we don't know how continuing emissions um, interacting with a bunch of weather systems might interact with um, growing solar geoengineering interactions with weather systems I mean I just don't think that's reasonable way to think about solar geo at all um and and I think that's kind of but that's the scenario that I think most people talk about when they want to say solar geoengineering is absurd because this entire enterprise is absurd um but that's I, I feel like this approach like in the context of everything else um is so important right because it's never going to happen in a vacuum um and so making sure that we're building the right governance frameworks to make sure it's happening alongside others, you know, potentially in the best possible way um, is critical.
2: Oh, there's probably people that think it's absurd to live through record droughts, and it's absurd to let the coral die. And it's a, there's a lot of absurdity that's already happening in our world. And I think little by little, it does make other kind of outlandish ideas seem less absurd to a certain degree. Would you agree with that? I think
0: yeah, I mean, like, the, the fact that we're even talking about storage engineering at all, I would say, like, is insane, but like, that's where we are, like, under no, like, circumstances, did any of us want to be in a world where talking about storage engineering, makes sense. But that is where we are. And so and that is the of the climate impacts that we're experiencing. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we're like, we're on track to, you know, lose the Arctic ice. I mean, that that's absurd. I mean, like to think about kind of where we're consigning ourselves to already. Um, is terrifying to me. And that's not to say that it's necessarily a solution, but, um, maybe it could help with some things. And I think that makes it worth talking about.
1: Does it take courage to do what you do? Do you feel exposed in a in a bad way to do this kind of leadership?
0: Um, well, it's very kind of you to say, first of all. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I mean, mostly I'm terrified. Um, I have no idea what I'm doing, um, but I feel like it's just really important to me. And I think. with I, I feel like in the context of like not seeing this type of work, it, it potentially happening anywhere else, um, and so I just wanted to try and help build something to motivate more of this type of work. Um, I, I mean, and I, I get it from both sides all the time of like, you know, either people telling me that I'm advocating for deployment and I'm a bad person or people telling me that I'm anti-research by talking about wanting to build capacity and trying to talk about justice. Um, so but for me, I mean, that makes me think I'm doing the right thing. Both people are telling me I'm doing it wrong. Um, and, and I think I'm, I'm, I'm most heartened by um, doing the act going to these different places and having the conversation. It's been really motivating. And so um, I hope that more people are able to kind of come to this space and recognize the importance of discussion and governance and deliberation and how the justice, especially approval justice. Um, but I think it's going to take time, um, but that's okay.
1: Bring all of this with us, it's a really interesting topic. I think anything that's at least somewhat likely deserves research and smart people thinking about the outcomes here. And as a contingency, uh, I don't think any of us would show up when there is a climate event that requires immediate catastrophic intervention like the first rollout of, of SRM might be, and to be unprepared for it. That sounds like the worst outcome of any. And also it is a non-negligible probability. I could I could see that pretty easily. And I imagine you could too, which is the terrifying part of that we're just unprepared for it and it happens anyways. Is that not one of the worst case scenarios that we could have happened? Yeah,
0: absolutely. Um, and I, yeah, I, I mean, and I, I don't think it's necessarily inevitable, but I do see it as being morally, if we don't have more answers to questions, um, and if we aren't kind of thinking about how to have more kind of cross-regional discussions um, about the very heterogeneous impacts that will occur. And um, I don't think there's going to be like an easy answer around this at all, given how, you know, complex and challenging our climate system is. I think even when when we have answers around what impacts could look like um i think what we're always going to have some uncertainty related to that i think we'll likely have very different impacts in different places and so understanding how to make decisions in the context of imperfect information and very you know diverse sectors i think is going to be incredibly challenging Um, but i think having a unilateral actor do that in the context of no information rather than imperfect information is even more terrifying to me, for sure.
1: Well, as someone who got rebuffed on this show multiple times for being inadequately nuanced, where, where can I and listeners find the nuance? Is it, is it on your website? Where do you want to direct people to start having these conversations and thinking their way through this? Yeah.
0: I mean, so hopefully there are some, I think, pretty good resources, um, which is sgdeliberation.org. Um, and there's also a page of other resources that will direct you to some of the reports that I mentioned um, and just organizations and people and papers that I really respect. Um, so, yeah, please take a look um, and, I, and hopefully those those resources will just lead you to the next ones.
2: I really appreciate this conversation and I feel just that I myself already feel more empowered to discuss this more in the future and I think that's a win.
1: Um, Well, Shishi, thanks being here. Thank you, Siobhan, for helping uh, co-host. Thanks so much for listening and have a lovely day.